1: Welcome to the program, and yes, it is a live program. On this 29th day of June, in the weirdest year in the history of everybody's lives, 2020, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions. Uh, Anything that's going on in your life will point you to the Word of God. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is three four zero ninety five eighty five. Hey it's good to be back and I owe you an explanation. Paula and I were together and had every plan to do the program on Thursday. And um we went and got tested for COVID nineteen and we both tested positive Uh, We've had an outbreak here at our church. We've had to really dial back, and I'm doing live stream message on Sundays, uh, but a bunch of us here, worship pastor and the worship team and some people, so we're really on a dial back schedule here for the next at least uh, week or 10 days uh, here at the church. Um, but uh, that's why we weren't on live. We hadn't worked out all of the details here uh, about how to do it. So uh, I'm here and my producer is immune to this stuff. So we're ready to do the program. Uh, just so you know, um, Paul and I feel fine. Uh, we've had almost no symptoms at all. I lost... Uh, my sense of smell and my sense of taste. Uh, but other than that, and that's been kind of good because I've lost some weight because uh, food just isn't really exciting. But other than that, we've been exercising and doing all the things that we always do. Uh, we just now have to do it together because knowing that we are uh, positive, we want to be careful and protect other people. Um, but uh, we would appreciate your prayers for our church. Uh, I think we've got like 20, almost 25 people uh, who have tested positive. It's, it was bound to happen, and it happened. So uh, we are doing well and feeling well. and. Uh, um, Lord willing, Paula will be here live in studio with me on Thursday on the date day edition of the program. Okay, I don't have anything else except waiting for your phone calls, and we hope that you've got some questions and want to call. But let's go to some questions that have been sent in while we are waiting for your calls. The first one is from Rodney. He says, Is there just one true church? Um, Rodney, there is. Now, when you say one true church, the church is made up of born again believers, and so if there's, uh, if you're a born again Christian, you are part of the church general or the church universal, and um, that is the one true church. And Jesus knows who are, are who are His. God says, uh, He will not be mocked. He knows those who are His, and believe me, He knows every single person who belongs to Him. Um, There are different denominations. There are different ways the church functions and the different ways the church uh, ministers, but there's only one true church. Now, what that means, Rodney, and I don't know if this is really the gist of your question or not. I suspect that it is, that things that we call churches aren't necessarily churches. The Mormon church is not a church. The Jehovah's Witness um, uh, gatherings are not Christian. They're not part of the true church. Um, The true church... Is made up of only born again believers. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless a man, I will add, or a woman be born again, they will in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. And the family or God of God are those who can call uh, our Father in heaven Father. And in order to call him Father, we've got to be adopted into the family. That's the only way that we get in. And the way to do that, of course, is to repent of our sins and then turn to Jesus Christ who forgives us, restores us, and then seals us with the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. We're part of the family. I love that. You know, Rodney, one of the things that I think about in terms of this whole idea of adoption, um, God wasn't forced to accept us. He chose us. You know, when you Send your wife to the hospital, she has a baby. Whatever comes home, you're stuck with. But God chose us. Paul talks about one who is abnormally born. Well, we're all abnormally born because our born-again birthright gives us a spirit, he writes, that allows us to call him Abba, Daddy, in heaven. And that's how to be part of the one true church. So there's only one true church, It's not a bunch of people trying to find a different road home to God. It's one true church, and you have to belong to Jesus in order to get that. Whoever does not have the Son does not have the Father. Here's a question from Daniel. Mm -hmm. He says, why do some churches place less importance on the two sacraments of the church, baptism and communion? Daniel, I don't know that um, uh, churches place more or less importance. I think there's a different view. Of the sacraments. Now, I like rather than sacraments because that's very religious, I like the ordinances of the church. So, the only two things that we practice and the way we determine that is all three are found in our New Testament. They were taught on by Jesus, of course, baptism and communion were taught on by Jesus. They were practiced in the book of Acts and then further validated in the epistles. And there's only two of them, baptism and communion. Now, um, the idea of baptism, I think there are churches that that believe, and and it's wrong that they believe it, but they believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation. Um, They take a couple of two verses sort of out of context and say, well, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And and they would say that we who believe that baptism is a, a a symbolic event, um, well, well, we're placing less importance on it. Not so. Uh, we're actually placing more importance on it. I didn't get baptized to get saved. I got baptized in response to the gift of my salvation. And that makes it a, a, a baptism that's not compelled by fear. It's a baptism that I couldn't wait to do. The same thing is true with communion. The fact that some churches believe in the real presence of the body and blood of the Lord um, uh, doesn't make it any more um, important. Uh, in fact, I would argue that it makes it less important, you know if you need to partake of a cracker in order to 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 experience the presence of God, you don't really understand what a relationship is all about. So um, I don't I just think it's different. And both of these are symbolic. Jesus said that the communion service is a memorial. Do whenever you do these things, he said, do them in remembrance of me. And when we are baptized, we're, we're simply making a public declaration of our faith. Jesus said that if we confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father in heaven. If we deny him before men, he'll deny us before his Father in heaven. And baptism was, in the first century church, and it has been ever since, a public profession of Jesus Christ. We're just telling everybody, I'm no longer my own, I'm bought with a price. And when we go into the water, it's like at a baptism, Daniel, we're going um, down in the water, which is really symbolic of the funeral of the old you. And then when we come up in the newness of the resurrection, we're, we're, we're sort of emerging from the water in new life and that's uh, why we do it. That's what the, the the ordinances represent. Sacraments, when people view them as sacraments, I think, Daniel, uh, it becomes very little more than a religious ritual, and there's really no value in just the ritual itself. It has to be accompanied by a heart. Anything that we do willingly and, and eagerly um, And we do it with the right heart before the Lord is accepted. So it's not less or more importance. It's just there are different views on what the baptism or the communion elements really are. So I hope that makes sense, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, Kenneth has a baptism question. He said, Pastor and how soon should one be baptized after being saved? Um, Kenneth, as soon as you can. Now, obviously, you know, we're not... Um, always available sometimes it's winter time you get saved and it's really cold outside um, most of us as churches we have our baptism our baptism services uh, in the summertime um, a lot of people like to have an, an event we get really big crowns for our baptism and we enjoy uh, we enjoy it it, we, it turns into a, a, a party uh, atmosphere um, but but I think generally speaking, Kenneth, as soon as you can be baptized, you ought to be baptized. Um, Again, not because we have to to get saved, but because we have already been saved. Kenneth, when I got saved, now uh, I didn't even really know about baptism. I started reading about it in the Bible, but I've told the story before. Uh, I didn't actually start reading the Bible until six months after I got saved. Uh, somebody got me a brand new Bible and it was very intimidating but there was a spiritual war going on in my life and every time I opened the Bible I would literally get nauseous and I couldn't really think uh, about what I was reading um, I, I didn't know anything about spiritual warfare then but but when I, when I finally did start reading it and I started um, reading about baptism I wanted to be baptized and I remember... Um, thinking, well, where am I going to get baptized? Paul and I were going through a rough time in our life because of my sin at that point. And uh, we belonged to a gym that had a pool. And I thought, well, I can get baptized at the gym pool. And then I had to wrestle with, well, who should do the baptism? And, And it was an instant thing for me. I knew that there was only one person, the woman who prayed for me for 13 years to get saved. She was the one who baptized me. So we had our own little private ceremony. There was a few other people uh, out by the pool watching, but but she baptized me, and Kenneth, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And I think that happened for me um, in about the first year after getting saved. So uh, get, get baptized as soon as you can be baptized, um, but just be sure you get baptized in obedience to the Lord. Good question. Here is a question uh, from William. He said... Oh, I got a phone call, so let me go there first. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Well, hello, Pastor Ron. I'm glad you're on the air.
1: (laughs) Me too. I felt like I was getting lazy, Ray.
2: Oh, not lazy. Just quarantined. (laughs) Handcuffed. (laughs) But anyway, um, boy, I hear me in the background.
1: Well, get away from your phone. Get away from um, uh, the the radio. Turn the radio down.
2: It's it's not me. It's it's from your end. It's through the through the telephone. But at any rate, um, I was I was curious as to your feelings or thoughts or knowledge about when people are in anguish or whatever, and they go, "Oh God!" or "Oh Jesus!" and you know, I mean, or Lord, or, I, I just don't know that that is a proper, uh, you know, uh, way to approach a situation of, you know, asking for help. And since we were sent the comforter, uh, the, uh, wouldn't we be more proper uh, to direct our requests for help or guidance? to the Holy Spirit, and I will let you bounce that around or just toss it out the window.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very much. You know, um, I, I don't think that we uh, ought to pray specifically to the Holy Spirit now there are times, Ray, when uh, I will I will specifically address the Holy Spirit uh, when I need I need His power. I know He's with me. I know He lives in me. But remember, His job is to testify of Jesus, to lead us to Jesus. So I direct almost all of my prayer conversation uh, to, to 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 Jesus. Um, um, Again, I, I want to acknowledge the Father, I acknowledge the Son, I acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but, but Jesus is the one who said he will not leave us as orphans. He's the one who calls us his friend. Um, so he's the one that I, I talk to specifically. Now, relative to the first part of the question, you know, we cry out Lord or Jesus or we cry out in anguish, was I think the way you put it. Uh, I've, I never say the Lord's name unless I immediately want to uh, to connect with him and talk to him. I don't say it as a matter of habit. And I personally don't think, Ray, that, that we ought to do that. Now, having said that, um, remember when Peter was sinking, he's walking on the water to Jesus, and um, he cried out, Lord, help! So I think that's appropriate. When we need the Lord's help, I think it's imp- appropriate to call out, Jesus, help me. That's what Peter did. Um, Jesus didn't rebuke him. Uh, I think that's what we are safe in doing as well. But the, the flippant use of the Lord's name, um, Jesus Christ, or Lordy, 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 or, oh, God, you know, I, I personally don't think those are good ideas. I don't think it rises to a level of sin that, that God is blushing or he's uh, taking offense at. But I, I just think that when we are talking to the Lord, it's such a privilege that we ought to have a purpose in calling him by name. And just my own habit here is I want to be sure that whenever I'm calling on his name, I... Um, um, it's It's because i'm 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 with him, we're present together, and it's an intimate kind of thing rather than just a casual thing. so I think it's one of the things that we Christians should be careful of um, you know we should we should choose our words carefully and to use his name in a flippant manner, borders on taking his name in vain again, I'm not being legalistic about it, and I realize that there are figures of speech. And God is more concerned with the intent of our heart, Ray, than he is with the words that come out of our mouth. But I just think it's a really good practice to be um, men and women who, when we use his name, it's because we know we need him. We know we're calling on him or we're talking just directly to him. But to be talking to another person and use the Lord's name casually, I think is something that is, is probably unwise for us to do. So, Ray, thank you for the call. First call back. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, William, the question I was about to take, said, Jesus said to the devil not to test God, but Malachi says we are to test God on giving. So which is it? Well, William, I think it's both. I think we can discern the difference between testing God, okay, God, if you get me out of this one, I'm never going to miss church again, something like that. That's, that's testing God. Or playing fast and loose with the word of God. I think that's testing God. But when God himself lays down a principle, and of course with Malachi, the principle is with giving, and he's rebuking the Israelites. Now remember, he's talking to his people, the Jews who are under the law. And the Malachi passage really gets distorted and perverted in our church culture, because it's like, oh, test God, give him some money, and see if you don't get a a, a return on your investment. Um, that's not what he was meaning to Israel. He was just saying, look, um, you're neglecting the things that the law says to do. And like people f- throughout history, well, we don't have enough money. Things are tight. Well, test me on this. One of the things that, that Malachi was communicating, or the Lord was communicating through him, was that the, the Levites... And his house depended on the, the the investment of the people, and God is saying, "Don't you trust me? Test me on this, so we can test God in His promises." You know, when I, I I I love the promises in Romans chapter eight. If you've got one chapter in your Bible and you want to live with just one chapter for the rest of your life, that's it. And so when when um, I'm under attack, or when I'm feeling a little defeated, I want to remember that if God is for me, who can be against me? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul writes in another epistle. I love the, the, the promise in Romans 8 that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So those are promises that we've been given because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can test those promises because they're legitimate promises given to us in the Word. They're very specific, not only for the time that Paul wrote them, but they're specific to us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when I'm feeling condemned. I need to test God on that. Lord, I need your help now. You said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm feeling condemned. Help, Lord. And he's always there. So when Jesus was speaking to the devil, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, we're not supposed to tempt God, but there are things that God has given us that we can test him on, and they're two completely different things. So, William, I hope that makes it uh, easy to understand um, the real promises of God he wants to be tested on. And, And the reason he wants to be tested is because he wants to prove to us, that He is trustworthy. Now, I could spend the rest of this half hour, and I won't. We've only got about four minutes left in this half hour of the program. But, but, please learn that God is trustworthy. Please don't take matters into your own hands. When things get just a little bit scary, hang in there and let God prove to you over and over and over that He is. Able to be depended upon. You see, unless we learn that lesson, we're always going to be tempted to turn to the world for help, turn to other people for help, or we're gonna we're gonna try to figure out in our own um, mind, you know, what's the right thing or the best thing to do in a particular situation. So um, uh, that's that for me is is um, one of the most important applications of testing the Lord. He's got to show off for you. And when he starts showing off for you, he starts answering prayers. I promise you it will change your life. Here's a question from David. He says, I have a friend who thinks he will party in hell and says that that's better than being bored in heaven. David, your friend is a, a, an idiot. I say that advisedly in love. Um... I once did a funeral of a boy who grew up in our house, really. Um, Started riding with motorcycle groups, got himself shot one night and died. His mom and dad asked me to do the funeral, and um, his casket had the flames of hell on it, you know, as, as you lay in that casket. And all the motorcycle guys, well, his name was Daryl. Daryl's in hell and he's partying. Daryl, will be there to join you soon. So I understand this sentiment Um, as the officiant of the the funeral. Uh, I scolded everybody when I was up there. Um, You know, give people a chance to share, and they did. Um, But when I got up there, I told them, believe me, there's no party in hell believe me now that Daryl is standing, uh, kneeling before God, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Not his Lord, but the Lord. And, you know, what we got to do is we've got to be sober-minded about this, and there's there's no party in hell. The other thing about about hell is, you know, Satan's not, like, in charge of hell. When the great white throne judgment occurs in a lake of fire, uh, is created by God. Um, everybody goes in there and suffers um, torment, in the people that are the worst, the 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 devil most notably, um, uh, they're going to suffer the worst, and it's going to be seclusion, separated from God in total outer, utter darkness. So, David, tell your friend that you're praying for him, but that's really close to a rejection of Jesus Christ that is final once and for all. You know, we never know when we're approaching that line where we don't have any more chances. But the Bible clearly teaches there's a place where our hearts get so hard that we can no longer even respond. And your friend is really close to that. you remember when when Jesus was accused by the religious leaders of casting out demons by the power of the devil? That's when he said, "Do be careful, All sins can be forgiven except that one, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, David, pray for your friend. Show him Luke chapter 16. And then uh, in as direct but as nice a way as you can, tell him that that's an idiotic position. Okay, we've got 30 minutes left in our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We're toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes.
3: Don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com.
0: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. Shirley, with two days last week of repeat broadcast, you've got some questions. We'd love your calls. Here is a question from Janet. She said, uh, Pastor Ron, what to you is the most remarkable prophecy fulfilled by Jesus while he was alive? Janet, for me, this is easy. Uh, I get a chance to teach this every year. It's on Triumphal Inter, Palm Sunday. And that, to me, is the most remarkable prophecy fulfilled by the Lord. He entered Jerusalem on April 6th, 32 A.D., and had he come one day earlier or one day later, then those prophecies wouldn't have been fulfilled. Now think about the the complexity of fulfilling that prophecy. Um, the, the, the the prophet said that um, um, there would be one hundred and seventy three thousand eight hundred and eighty days from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. We can find that day in. Um, Nehemiah chapter two, um, one hundred seventy three thousand eight hundred eighty days is is with 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 three hundred sixty year days or six, hundred sixty day years rather. Um, we we come to that very moment uh, where Jesus had to come in um, and be proclaimed publicly as the King for the very first time, and if he didn't fulfill that prophecy exactly. Then he was lost. So there's a lot of remarkable prophecies, but but that one would be impossible um, to just dismiss, Janet. So that one for me is the most remarkable one. Uh, obviously, the most viable one is that he died as predicted. Uh, that according to the scriptures, he was risen on the third day. Paul thinks that's so important that he. Um, um, put it included in his description of the gospel uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, But just the, the sheer mathematics of him coming into Jerusalem on exactly the right day is an amazing one to me. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro, California, Tanya. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hi, Papa. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you.
3: I, I'm not really calling with a question, and I forgive me, I missed the first uh, 30 minutes, but I just wanted to call and tell you that I really appreciated your message yesterday. Um, oh. And I could feel the pain that you were experiencing um, at the end while you addressed the church, and it really broke my heart that people would think that you would want anything but the best for people, and I just want you to know, and I want the audience to know, that I'm 1,700 miles away, and I still feel your love, and I am just grateful for the church and how you guys, you know, loving me. Even when I was walking in and, and, and disobedience, you guys lovingly brought me back um, to Jesus, and I'm just so grateful for you, and I just, it broke my heart that someone would question um you know, the, that you would uh, put people's lives at risk because the reality is, Papa, we don't have a cure or a vaccine, so it's likely we're all going to get it. And I just um, want you to know that I love you and I'm lifting you up, Mama Paula and everybody who's ill in um, the church. And I just I just want you to know that I know that you love your people and I love Thank and you. That you love the people that God loves. And I just want you to know that I'm praying for you guys and um um, I'm grateful that y'all have uh, mild symptoms and I'm praying for those who are suffering as well. But I just wanted you to know that Papa, I wanted to share my heart with you um, to, to let you know that I know that you love your people and I know that very much and you care for them so beautifully. So I just wanted to share that with you, Papa. And I love you, Thank guys, you Tanya. very much.
1: Uh, we, we love you too. Thank you so much. You know, um, I guess this requires a little bit of explanation for the audience because, by far, most of our listeners don't listen to my messages. Um, you know, one of the things we, as pastors, you can't take things personally. It's really difficult sometimes, but you can't take things personally, and especially in a situation like this, where people are really afraid. They're afraid, you know, when when their health is messed with, um, with this constant barrage of media input um, uh, people are afraid um, it, it's it's just that simple and and, and we stop thinking rationally uh, at times um, when we're being um, attacked and, and make no mistake the enemy is is attacking people uh, by way of explanation for those of you in the radio audience um, there are people who um, as you know we get 20 25 people who test positive, uh, basically for us, it all happened in about the same week. Now, we hadn't been touched by, by COVID-19. Uh, we'd been meeting, um, um, we, we followed the law to the letter. At the same time, it got to a place where I decided that, you know, if people wanted to hug, they could hug. I, I made a statement. Said, you know, before you hug anybody, ask them if they if that's okay with them, and if it's not, that's all right. I'm, I don't don't hug them, but I let everybody know. Look, I'm huggable. This is what we do. You know, people are hurting, and you know, ministry. Um, our our minister at Malta Medical it had to keep going on. We didn't close the doors at Malta Medical because. Um, We we wanted to protect our doctors. That's what doctors do. Well, how much more those of us in the body of Christ? And after a long, long period of quarantine, the one thing that a lot of people don't realize in the church is that uh, as the pastor, and and Paula, she's sort of my, she calls herself my textitary. um, You know, we deal with the people who are really hurting uh, the quarantine. Isolation is not good for people. And, um, so, uh, when we came back, um, we socially distanced for a while. And then when they were losing the restrictions, I made the decision to look, if you want to hug, you hug, you're an adult, you can make the choice. We're not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. And there were some people who were really put off by that. Um, as the pastor, they said, my responsibility was to protect people even people that didn't know enough to protect themselves, I, I take issue with that, but I understand what they were saying. And so when we started getting uh, positive tests, um, for some of them, it made sense that it was my fault. And one of the comments that was made to me more than once was that you were just so anxious to get things back to normal that you didn't protect the flock. And... um What I wanted to communicate yesterday is that everything I do here at Calvary Chapel is to protect the flock. I love this group of people more than I can describe. And, um, you know, the truth is, and everybody needs to get ready for this. At some point, we're all going to get this. I hope you can only get it once. And I'm grateful that my, uh, mine and Paula's symptoms were really, really minor. In fact, most of the people um, who have been tested, and turned positive here at our church have been really, really minor in their symptoms—not nearly as bad even as the flu. Um, but at the same time, we told all of our high-risk people, those with with compromised immune systems, we told them, "Stay home, protect yourself." We want you to be okay. We want you to 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 be safe. Um, but truth is, when we go out in public, we go to people's houses we go to restaurants we we go to medical offices. I, I, we've, we've got a bunch of doctors nurses military people who are traveling in in large groups of people all the time and um um our, our city we've had protests and people are not social distancing so this thing was bound to explode and I think we need to be prepared for that and we can't give in to fear so Tanya I think my reason for, for expounding on this is that um, I know people are afraid and I don't take it personal and I know they know my heart and uh, I appreciate um, knowing what your heart truth is uh, we've known each other now for a whole bunch of years and uh, from the moment we met I knew your heart so God bless you sweetheart we love you and um, I appreciate you sharing your heart with me again. Thanks very, very much. 3409585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Mark, no oh, I'm sorry I'm, I'm not seeing well today. Marley said what's the best way to convince someone to get out of the prosperity gospel? Um, Marley the best way and this is just an appeal to common sense. I mean we can look at the Bible and whether there's solid biblical, Arguments, but the best way to convince somebody is say, So, how's that working out for you? It's an amazing thing to me. And the first time I ever went to a, a real prosperity church, and I mean, I was a brand new believer. They told me God wanted me, re, wanted me to be rich. I'd blown all my money and I needed to be rich again, so I wanted them to be true. And yet, the very first time I'll never it was in Los Angeles, the, the Crenshaw Christian Center fred frederick casey price was the pastor and i remember it's in a ghetto in 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 compton california and uh i remember uh looking at the parking lot which was absolutely packed there had to be uh 10,000 people there that day and i looked around at all the cars and they were mostly just kind of old cars and I just thought, well, wait a minute. If you just have to have a faith, and this is faith church, why isn't everybody driving Cadillacs or Mercedes Benz or Rolls Royces? Or And then I realized the only one really driving an expensive car was the pastor. He was driving a Bentley. And I just said, look around. It, it, it didn't ring true. Now, it took me a little while to come out of it because I so wanted to believe it. And, Marley, I think that's where your friend is. Um... Just tell him, look around. How's it working? You know, when I first got saved and the guy that took me to this prosperity church, uh, he worked for me in business. And uh, one day, uh, we, we I ran a car dealership, and one day he came to me and he said, you know, let's just pray. Let's just pray in faith and, and believe for 10 cars today. And this was during the um, um, first desert storm when the car business just went quiet, especially Uh, a Cadillac dealership that I was running. Um, Those people were conservative. They just stopped spending money for a while. And uh, so we prayed. And we named it and claimed it. We claimed 10 cars. Today, Lord, we're claiming 10 cars. And we believe it. And and we didn't sell any cars that day. And so the next day, the guy came back in. And I said to him, I said, his name was Roy. I said, Roy, what happened? He goes, well, we just didn't believe it enough. And I got angry. I said, well, speak for yourself. I believed it. And you just know that it isn't true. Now, obviously, there's a lot of biblical um, arguments. Um, Paul uh, talks about being learning the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. You read Second Corinthians 12, you see the things that Paul had to endure. Uh, Jesus himself had no place to lay his head. Um, um, you, you know, they, they were they were supported by women. Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples. So uh, all you have to do is look at the gospel accounts and you know that it's not true. But I think the smell test, Marley, is the best way. It just doesn't work. People can believe all they want, but it just doesn't work. Nancy says, is it? necessary to believe in inerrancy. Inerrancy is the belief that the Bible is without error, that it is infallible. And Nancy, the truth is, it is not necessary to believe in inerrancy to be saved. It is necessary to believe in inerrancy, to have a fruitful Christian life. That's really important for us to To understand, um, if you don't believe that you have a, the Word of God that you can depend on, then you're going to be um, like a ship without an anchor. You're just going to be tossed anywhere and everywhere. Um, but the Bible is the book that tells us how to live. And if we don't believe it is without error, if we don't believe that it is the authoritative Word of God, then we have no foundation for our walk with the Lord and the truth is we will be um, Nancy uh, unable to to stand firm as Paul commands us to do it so yeah for salvation it's not an essential but for a vibrant Christian life it is essential. Let's go to Jeff calling on line one from San Antonio Jeff thanks for calling you're on the air Hi
4: Pastor Ron a big virtual hug to you (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thanks, Jeff.
4: Yeah, I wonder when we're actually going to be able to hug each other if ever again.
1: Well, as soon as I'm disinfected, I'm going to be hugging.
4: <laughs> oh, that's good. Me too. Hey, um I have not had a chance to go back and listen to your early studies or read your commentaries earlier in in Isaiah. I kind of came in right around like 40, 42, 43. So, this is a mm-hmm. question that I, that I haven't researched, so I thought I'd call and ask you. In Isaiah 24, uh, it's I think 24, 25, 26, I've heard it called like Isaiah's apocalypse. And 24, I'm, I'm wondering if you would just kind of elaborate on really what he's talking about, the Lord's devastation of the earth. And I'm curious, just because of the number of it being chapter 24, if it has any correlation, if, if uh, Matthew 24 has any correlation with this as well. And um, that's my theological question for the day. Thank you.
1: Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Let me Let Thank- me get to it. And we will i got to find it here i'm having a hard time seeing today. Here it is um, this chapter is is really closely linked with jeremiah chapter four um, it's it's a, a strikingly similar passage um, you know god's message through his prophecies never changed um, Um, He is consistent and this chapter seems super bleak, but it's not because while it is Isaiah's apocalypse, uh, we who are New Testament Christians, we need to view this as a chapter when God sets everything right. You know, Paul says that the whole creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption. Well, so are we. And I think especially as we live through this horrible COVID time and all the other things that are going on in our nation as we, you know, approach another election uh, month later this year. Um, uh, There's just, things are crazy. And, um, you know, we cry out for fairness, we cry out for justice, we cry out for good to overcome evil. Well, um, Isaiah 24, Jeremiah chapter 4, um, Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, and Mark chapter 13, uh, Revelation chapter 19, those, um, those are the chapters that describe um, how it's going to happen. So we have to really understand that. And this is what he said. The Lord, behold, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitant." Now, um, this is the time that we're talking about the great tribulation. But remember, we're in the beginning of birth pangs even now. So the prophecy in Isaiah 24, and I'm not going to be able to talk about the whole chapter, Jeff, but the prophecy centers around the condition of Israel both literally and spiritually. Um, but remember, Israel is sort of a sign for us that, that we're in the the last days. This is a time that Isaiah is speaking of that's so terrible that Jesus himself said if those days had not been shortened, not even the elect would survive. In other words, it's a time like none before. So the idea is, is judgment has no favorites. Judgment um, is impartial and the earth uh, will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. Um, In verse 3, it says, The Lord has spoken this word. Now, more than one-third of the people left behind after the rapture of the church are going to die in these judgments. Pain and devastation is going to be the rule rather than the exception. So it really doesn't matter what somebody's position in life is. It um, doesn't matter if they have a commitment to religion. What matters is, do they know Jesus Christ? So, Jeff, that's exactly what it is. And uh, I've got that uh, study and my notes uh, on our website at CalvarySA.com. Good to hear from you, Jeff. Thank you for calling. Let's go to line two and talk with Jerry from San Antonio. Jerry, thanks for holding you on the air. Well,
5: I think uh, it was supposed to be Terry, Pastor Ron.
1: Oh, hi, Terry. I th- my screen <laughs> says Jerry.
5: Yeah, I, I spelled it, but I guess the, but the C's and J's. <laughs> but uh, there, there's that uh, <laughs> speaking. She heard you on the radio, and she said he's huggable, and so am I, she said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs> Give her a hug for yeah, me. Yeah, Tell yeah, can't yeah,
5: wait. We were listening to the show, and I just want to share with you and everybody that's listening. Yeah, I just sent this uh, uh, to a few people. Is it uh, uh, don't love you less, love you more? For being on the front line for Jesus all the time, and and we talk about the cutting edge and always there and always spreading the word, the truth, the gospel, and uh, uh, that's uh, a blessing to everybody. So I'm glad you're getting better, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again back at the ranch. Thank you,
1: thank thank you, Jerry, and that's that's your new name from now on. (laughs) That's right.
5: (laughs) Call me that, Jerry, Jimmy, Judy. I don't care. So, Just call uh, me. We're going to have new names in heaven, so maybe that's what it's going to be. So, Thank you, Terry. God bless you, man. See you. Thanks.
1: Bye, Arabella. Thank you. <laughs> that little girl, I'm a star in her eyes, and I like being a star in her eyes. You know, I think one thing that we have to realize, that, that physically we want to be prudent. We want to keep people safe. Um, but remember, there's a lot of people hurting. And if we withhold love, if we withhold ministry because we're afraid of 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 coming into contact with the with the disease that we're all going to get anyway um again, I'm not being flippant with with this virus um, uh, for for us it's been really really simple uh we're coming to the, the i think the end of our quarantine period we got this week and and uh, then they want you to be symptom free for three days so by the time this next weekend rolls around um, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be clear of it and I think that's uh, that's a good thing but you know for me um, and um, and I, I speak for Paula I don't speak for anybody else but for for me and for Paula um, It's just impossible for us to withhold the love that people need. There's people who are hurting. Um, I've had so many people come up after the original quarantine period. which was nine weeks, I think, something like that. Um, And they would explain to me that, that quarantine wasn't a good thing for them. And they're in a place that's really, really dark. And, you know, how do you not put those people in your arms? Take them to Jesus. So I appreciate the the thought, Jerry. Got time maybe for one more call or one more question here. Um, Howard says, how is it possible that Saul of Tarsus, a Jew, could be a Roman citizen? Um, Howard, in the ancient world, there were lots of ways to be Roman citizens. Most of them involved money. Um, you, you could be born into a, uh, a, a Roman citizen's house. That was the case with Saul of Tarsus. His father uh, evidently was a wealthy man and bought his citizenship. You could bribe your way, again, money, uh, into being a Roman citizen. And uh, there were lots of perks and privileges for those who were um, um, anywhere, but, but, but anybody. It was a way Rome raised money. So uh, you could be a Roman citizen by buying or being born into it, and that was the case with Saul of Tarsus. And so the fact that, that you didn't mean you had to be born in Rome, it's not like in the United States where you're born here, you're a citizen here. It was simply a business transaction, and it would have paid off uh, for those who were um, buying the citizenship as well as paying off for Rome, who was selling it for lots and lots of money. Remember when he got beaten, um, stoned to death in Lystra, um, came back in and he said, how is it that you can stone a Roman citizen? Everybody freaked out uh, because the punishment for doing that, uh, stoning the Roman citizen or for beating a Roman citizen would have been. Um, the same punishment as the the punishment that the the person received. So that would mean they would have been done as well. Last question. I can take this one today. Uh, Natalie says, why didn't Jesus have a wife? Uh, That was never his plan. It was never the Father's plan for him. Um, You know, every Jewish male wanted to grow up and have a wife and have kids. uh, But Jesus didn't come. He didn't come to live, Natalie. Jesus came to die. You know, we have babies and we have great plans for them. We want them to live full and successful lives. Not Jesus. He came just to die. So I hope that uh, answers your question. Okay, as we get ready to sign off, a reminder that for uh, us as a church, we've suspended all church activities for the week except on Sunday, and that will be live stream only. I don't even have a worship team because uh, they all tested positive as well, uh, all of our worship teams. So uh, I will be teaching. I'll be doing this radio program this week, but the rest of the the church activities have been suspended, including uh, what would be a sweet summer devotion night. That will pick up... Um, Two weeks from tonight, uh, we'll be back in action Air. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630, The Word. See you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com